Hi, I'm Becky Eakins, business mindset and lifestyle coach for occupational therapists. I focus on creating a freedom-based online business, helping OTs to package up their skills in unique and exciting offers that feel so good that they sell with ease in the online space. Since leaving the profession of OT, I have now worked with hundreds of clients online, helping them to create a life they feel inspired by. In this podcast, I will talk about the lifestyle goals, mindset and strategy you need to create your own life of freedom. So hello, Lindsay, and welcome. I'm very pleased to have you join me here today. And just to explain a little bit about who Lindsay is. So Lindsay is actually a current client of mine who's already got a successful business and is transitioning more into a freedom style business and actually following her true passions and deep love of occupational therapy by creating an OT supervision style business. So we'll talk about that more in a minute. But what I'd love to say, Lindsay, to start with is would you just share with us your why basically just tell your story that where you first started in the NHS um, as an OT and what it was that made you leave and then ultimately how you ended up creating this new business right hi Becky hi everybody yeah I have been a pediatric OT for 20 years I spent the first 20 years of that in NHS I was one of those uh, fortunate people I like to call myself who went straight from school into university to do OT. I truly fell in love with the profession and um, spent 20 years in the NHS in various roles in different parts of the north of England and then in London ultimately always working with paediatrics generally school-based um, occupational therapy with a little bit um, of work in colleges and in preschool so across the lifespan really up to 25 years old for the paediatric world and yeah, loved it until the pressures of the NHS and the, and the challenges around that on services became conflicting really with my values and my kind of desire to offer clients to families, to children, a service that actually met their needs. And I'm not here to say anything bad about the NHS. Everyone's aware of the pressures that the service is under, but it did really start to conflict with my own personal values and what I felt was the best way forward for individuals. So that started the conflict for me, really, in terms of beginning to think about it was time to leave. I'll be perfectly honest, it took me a long time to leave once I started <laughs> feeling that. So I probably, if I'm really honest, we'd say the last three years of my time in the NHS were a struggle. Um, they were really challenging <clears throat> in terms of that Am I doing the right thing? Am I able to use the skills that I have and the kind of passion for seeing children succeed and do well? And then alongside that, I had some family stresses. So life was busy. I was a mum. I am a mum. My children were primary school age at the time. One of my children was a competitive athlete, which sounds daft when they're in primary school, but he was. Um, he was a gymnast. And so we were traveling all over the place, um, all over the UK. He was going off on training camps. It was a very busy time and really hard to juggle work, life, family. 
And I think really those worlds just collided and the struggles I'd been having with work about whether I felt I was really doing what I was trained to do as an OT. I'm, a, I'm an OT who likes to treat. I'm not an OT who likes to just consult, to get to know families, to go on a journey with the children. And I wasn't able to do that any longer in the role I was in. And family life was just crazy. It was just chaos and, and I couldn't manage to do the both together. So there came a crunch point and, and I had to make a decision. I say I made the decision. Actually, my husband helped me make the decision. Came home from work one day, another day that had been bad. Um, and he said, that's it, enough. I went out to a meeting, I do some voluntary work and I came home and my resignation letter was on the table. And he said, sign it, it's time. So I did. Wow, that's incredible. Well, I'm just going to stop you there for a second because I hadn't realised how similar our journeys were and I'm wondering if other people will resonate with this as well. So part of what was happening then is you recognised that the NHS or the system you was working with didn't match your own personal values. So I yeah. have the, the exact same story. I didn't feel that I was able to deliver... OT in the way that I had trained to and um, that sat really uncomfortably with me I felt that I was going against the nature really of what true OT is in order to meet targets and to deliver care in the standard that they were expecting so there was that and then what I'm hearing at the same time there was this family need that was building at the same time now um so for me my children were home educated my um partner had had a heart attack and and all of that was kicking off and it sounds like that you'd got different pressures completely different but still had the same effect um as a parent you was expected to be there fully present for the family and your time was taken up and the two things the lack of feeling fully fulfilled at work because you're not aligned to your values and the family needs as well your personal life seemed to combine and then what was really interesting there is you talked about a three-year period uh, it's the same for me three years yeah <laughs> and and that's what I picked up on so it's that stage isn't it where we're questioning ourselves we're thinking oh no but the NHS that's security that's stability that's everything we've ever known and, yeah, and you know, it's more like... than that in a sense I think for me having been in the NHS for 20 years in the end in a way and I don't mean this to sound weird but I was kind of institutionalized by by the system yes I couldn't it was really hard to break out even though I was fighting the system, and, and any of my managers listening will agree to that, I was always the one fighting against the system, wanting it to be different, wanting it to be more individualised. But I I just, I needed something different, but I didn't know how to do it. I didn't, as yes. much as I fought it and thought this isn't working, I didn't know what the alternative looked like. And when I left, I very much left with that, I have no idea what I'm going to do next. I, I knew I still wanted to be a paediatric OT. That is, you know, always been my passion. Um, and I really am passionate about OT. Like I say, I left school, I went to university. If you, I really believe, if you cut me through the middle, it'd be like a stick of rock and it would say occupational therapy. It is who I am to my core, but I didn't know how to do it 
outside of the NHS. So that was a really interesting transition. And I needed that flexibility and freedom for my kids. I wanted to be at home with them. I wanted to have that time with them. But the two worlds were just colliding and clashing in the wrong ways that I needed to find a different way to do it. And that's really what, what led to the, there has to be a different way. I don't know what that way is, mm. but there has to be a different way. And what was that way for you then? Because I know the supervision thing, that's quite, well, it's a newer um, skill that you've developed. So what did you do in the interim between leaving the NHS and then deciding to do the supervision? Okay, so I was fortunate. I knew I still wanted to be an occupational therapist and to offer treatment um, for children. I was very lucky. I set up my own independent practice as a self-employed therapist. So I explored other options of going and working for other people and being associates with other companies. But my worry was I would fall back into the same position of not being able to make the choices and the decisions in terms of what I felt was best for the children I, I was working with and families. And I didn't, I know that didn't fulfill me. And so I thought, right, I've got to try and do something on my own. And I was really lucky. I was known locally in the area because I'd been with the local trust for um, several years. So I was able to get some contracts with the local education authority and work with children in schools who had been through families and children who'd been through the educational healthcare plan process. And often many of them had been through tribunal because the needs of their child were above the local offer. Um, and the local education authority said they had work. They had these um, families who were looking for therapists that the NHS weren't able to provide for because it was above the local offer. And would I be interested? And really, my business grew from there. Um, so I started with one borough and then um, word of mouth is, is a great thing. I was recommended to others and, and have successfully run an independent practice business for the last eight years. How did I get to supervision? Well, two years ago, I hurt my back really badly during um, work. It just kind of wear and tear, essentially. Um, but it resulted in a period of six months of intensive pain um, and then surgery. And I think that was a real wake up call because I never thought about doing anything but OT. That That's just kind of who, who I am. And it had always given me fulfillment, even during the times when I was fighting the system. I knew that it, it was still important to be in OT. So when I injured my back, I realized, OK, how can I be in OT? Because I still want to be in OT. That's important for me but not be the one treating on the floor every day because my back is not, although it's better, um, it's not going to be able to do that through to retirement. So, so really I started thinking about what do I enjoy about OT and supervision is something I've always done throughout my whole career. Um, and I thought, oh, maybe that's something where I can still share my years of knowledge and my skills and still practice as an OT, keep a small caseload, but really help develop the future OTs that are coming through and the people out there who are maybe not in the system in the statutory services and are working on their own and are in need of somebody to offer them that supervision, that support and that safe space. Although Becky and I had been chatting during some of this time, um, I wasn't quite sure where I wanted to take it, but I knew I wanted to learn more about supervision purely in the sense that 
I may have been doing it for 20 odd years, but that doesn't mean that's the right way to do it. So I chose to go and do a postgrad certificate at the University of Derby and um, learn about supervision from a different perspective so that I could bring something new, something deeper to the supervision that I was offering to OTs and then to build on that as a business. And then that's when I reconnected with yourself, Becky, about, um, okay, how can I do this in the kind of, in a different world, in a different space? It wouldn't be as simple as the word of mouth and um, referrals that I got locally for my independent practice. And uh, therefore, I wanted to come and explore, how do we do this? How do we do this differently? Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because the exact words that you've said there have been said to me by a lot of clients. Um, So as they get to my age and older, really, they start to realise that they don't want to be on the floor playing with the kids anymore. And that's perhaps not what they want to be doing for the later years of um, working life. So there has to be this change. And the change also comes at a, a point when you've got so many years of experience. So it's exciting, really, that you've decided to use your skills, your knowledge, your experience and your passion and tie it all up into one beautiful offer, which is what I like to help people with. And by doing that, creating a business that can be online as well so um, there's so many different ways we can do that but ultimately it can create more freedom more time freedom you know and enable you to earn a higher wage um, working less hours which is always great especially as recognition of the amount of experience that you you're bringing here um so I'm interested really who do you help exactly like what can you bring to the table now you are a supervisor I think like you say I'm I'm fortunate to have a lot of years of practice and experience behind me and training like we all do ongoing training as OTs it's really central to to what we are so I want to use my paediatric knowledge and skills and to support other occupational therapists and I think I said earlier a lot of that is that within the the statutory services there is supervision available but sometimes you might want a top-up supervision on top of that or you might be an independent occupational therapist who's out there working on their own and um, either with their own practice or you're in a school setting where you're employed as the only OT you might have other healthcare professionals like a speech therapist a mental health nurse you know I've seen all sorts of models out there in the school system there are more therapists being employed directly by schools now in the UK than there ever have been before I know that's more commonplace in other countries but that's definitely growing here in the UK and it's really hard to work as a lone therapist out there on your own you need that professional support you need somebody to come and discuss what's happening for you to help you build your services as well as build your own skills and manage that work-life balance like Becky and both said you know like everybody the balance doesn't always stay where we want it. It can go out of sync. And supervision it can be really central to helping people manage that process, to help avoid being burnt out, to manage those stresses that we face. We have huge ethical dilemmas that we deal with as occupational therapists, particularly when you're working with children and young people and families. And I think it's really important that you find a space to work through some of those issues. So really, that's, that's what I want to be able to support people to do. So it helps them provide a safe space for them to explore the work that they're doing 
but also to look at how that's working with their personal values to make sure we haven't got conflicts going on, that if there are clashes, we can identify those early enough so that people can manage them and work through them so that they don't hit that point of no return and burnout. I recorded a mindset meditation, one that you can do overnight. Very powerful in terms of helping you create the confidence, the self-belief and deal with any money mindset issues. I use these kind of overnight meditations all the time. I found them incredibly powerful. So I've created a very special one and I'm giving it for free to all of my podcast listeners. You can download it on the show notes. Perfect. And I'm just wondering what's going through the mind of an occupational therapist in the point before they start working with you. So what what's keeping them awake at night? What what pain points do they have and how can they expect to feel really after they've been working with you for a while? Okay, so I think a lot of occupational therapists sort of reach out for external supervision when they just feel like they're not coping, when those kind of little niggles about work start creeping into every other aspect of your life. So you might be out for a nice jolly walk or playing with your kids or out for a meal with friends and and work just keeps popping into your head. You just can't shut that off. You can't close that door from those worries and stresses that just keep kind of plaguing your every day. And really, I wouldn't, I don't want anyone to get to that point. So I would love therapists to come to me before they hit that point, before they're at the stage where, oh, I can't, I don't know how to do this. I'm, I hear people say I'm falling out of love with OT. And and, and I, as much as I hate to say it, when I, before I left the NHS, I was definitely at that point. I was thinking, what is going on? And that was huge for me. That was a huge alarm bell. And it is for many therapists, particularly those who who are genuinely passionate about what we do. And really, I don't think you can be an OT without being passionate about what we do. So falling out of love with it is a really dangerous sign. You definitely need to be speaking to someone if that's how you're feeling right now. Having all those sort of interfering thoughts, worrying about your caseload. I don't know how I'm going to get this done. I've got too many kids that don't have enough time. I've got no one to speak to to talk this case through. Might be a safeguarding issue. Those are really stressful when you're working with children and young people. And as much as there's brilliant systems in place to support therapists through that, sometimes that's only dealing with a practical aspect of what you need to do to make sure we're following the policy correctly it's not always time to talk about how that's impacting on you as a person, what that may be making you worry about or triggering something from your own experiences or experience of someone that you love or a friend. So those kind of personal connections around the work that we do start to interfere. And really what I would like to think that when people have worked with me and the feedback that I get from people is that Really supervision with me is providing that space, just that opportunity to sit with whatever is going on, whether it's a clinical decision that you're struggling with, whether it's a personal value conflict, whether it's a relationship that's tricky that you're working through, it's having that space to sit and explore it. So I'm not saying I'm going to give you all the answers because that's not what supervision is about, but it's having that space to explore it, to feel listened to, to feel supported and to have someone help you reflect on that and reflect things back. Um, And some of the things I do is a bit of 
kind of role play and I know everyone goes oh at the thought of role play but difficult conversations need to be practiced they're not if you're not comfortable with that if you're not kind of confident with how to approach those supervision is a great place to just practice those and kind of take on even the other person's point of view so not even your own point of view take on the other person's point of view just see how you can explore that and see how it lands when somebody maybe says a difficult phrase to you how does that land for you because that also impacts how you respond to how it lands for someone else so there's a huge amount of things that we can do within supervision to help people feel listened to to feel more supported to help them work through those you know value conflicts and really develop those professional skills alongside the personal ones I think it's a really important space to look at both together and not just look at professional because we can be guilty of that in supervision is just look at it from a professional angle but it's really important to acknowledge that personal side because that's the bit that tips the balance when the stress builds. Perfect and I think one of the key things to think about in what you've said is it's not reaching that point where you lose your love for OT and I think um, as you were saying that I was like oh my goodness Um, I so should have invested into something like that at a much earlier stage because I went through the same process that you did where I thought it was OT that I didn't like and actually when I left, I wasn't looking at any OT jobs. I wasn't looking at anything OT. I didn't even want to speak to an OT because I thought it was the OT. It was only years later I started to realise it was the system. It was the way it was working. It was my internal self that I was bringing to work each day that couldn't cope with um you know, being the best OT and all of those things. If I had signed up for some kind of help at an earlier stage, I think could have been avoided. But I think there's a tendency for for OTs to not invest in themselves or not not actually realise the value of of themselves. Like um, even from a self-care perspective, not realising that we need to fill our own couple in order to be able to truly and deeply help other people so I think that's really really important Becky what you've just said there in terms of bringing your true self into your workplace I talk about this a lot with my supervisees we are very good at um putting our clients needs first we are very good at using our the sort of therapeutic use of self within supervision uh, sorry within treatment but we're really bad at bringing that into supervision so if we're giving of ourselves in our role in our work because you can't not you have to recognize that part of that self then impacts on what you're doing and if you have those internal conflicts you need to be acknowledging them and you need to be looking for a space where you can explore them and sometimes within services that's difficult to do not through the fault of the people who are offering you supervision but through the scope of what they're trying to get through within that time so it's within a service model and supervision has to and does generally fit within that so you're looking at you know policy provision you know we can only offer this much and if that conflicts with your personal values there's not a huge scope for your supervisor to explore that with you because they can offer you an alternative solution and I think if you start to recognize that's where you're sat at you really do need to consider investing in external supervision 
because there that is a space you can explore it and explore what that means to you and that doesn't mean that you're going to leave your job it might mean it just helps you manage it better that you feel more comfortable you understand more what that conflict's about and find a way to manage it moving forward on the other hand you might want to change your job and find a different space that offers you a different perspective that that is very individual to the person um so i think you're right. In the UK, we are not good at investing in supervision outside of our workplace environment. There are other countries that are far better at that. And the Americans are great at it. Australia are brewing at it. And I think it's a culture that I would love to see come to the UK, not just because I'm offering supervision externally. I'd love to see lots more people being able to do this and to reach out beyond their working environment and recognise I need something different. I need to invest in, in myself and in my professional development, but in my personal development. So I continue to be the best therapist that I can be. Yes, exactly. And while you're saying that, I'm also reflecting on the 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 fact that you've chosen to do extra education in yeah. supervision and the fact that most of us, when we were supervising people in the NHS, had very little extra training to actually support us in that process. Um, and even just thinking now of all the years of, of coaching experience that I've got, I'd love to actually go back and, and listen to myself supervising somebody years ago because I, I wonder what you know, how effective it actually was when I had very little experience myself. So it is different when you've you've studied it as you have really, isn't it? It is. And, and again, that's another kind of passion that I have. I would love to see that occupational therapists, that we value supervision more than we currently do across the whole profession. Um, I mean, if we compare ourselves to, you know, psychologists, you have to be supervised by a trained supervisor in psychology. That's really central to what they do. But yet we don't apply that to ourselves. And I'd love to see that change within the profession, that the supervisors access more training, not just a one off when they first start training, but updated training that it's a skill that we need to keep learning and developing. It's not just something people can do. It's something like all the other skills we have as OTs that we need to develop and we need to work on. And I think as a profession and across the kind of professional body, I would love to have a, have a stronger voice on that and see us develop that further so that supervision really takes its rightful place within the profession. Exactly. And I've got um I've got a vision of your logo in the future as you you're going forward with this OT as you as a stick of rock with <laughs> <laughs> cut down the middle with occupational therapy in the middle of you. It's at the very core of of what you do and, and what you believe. Fantastic. Um, so I'm just interested then, Lindsay, how can people actually work with you? So if if there are people listening to this in the future that decide they want to connect with you, how what platform is best to get hold of you and how would that look like if they wanted to work with you? Yeah, great. So I'm, I'm on um, Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. So I think we'll probably put that maybe in the show notes, Becky, in terms of the links people can get me um, on. Um, I would love to to hear people's experiences and, and work with people who are ready to invest in themselves for supervision, sort of beyond maybe what they've experienced before. 
I offer individual supervision, so one-to-one -one support. I offer group supervision. I offer supervision for supervisors. So if you're out there supervising and you don't, you want to kind of review your skills, I offer a bit of training for supervisors and supervision for supervisors. So really trying to encompass the whole aspect of supervision from all angles, not just the supervisee, but the supervisor needs supervision as well and support and training and development. So you've got a big mission inside of you. I can see that it's just to change the whole nature of OT supervision. And um, I love that. And I think the, the really crucial thing to recognize here is so many of us have a mission inside of us. It starts as a, a low grade kind of annoyance where we're grumbling about something and then it starts to build and build and one thing that I notice as OTs that we do a lot is we hold ourselves back we don't shout about our mission because we're so used to putting everyone else first and not wanting our own voice to be heard and that's the the big difference with this so Lindsay's learning very much how to put herself across on social media it's a big jump isn't it Lindsay oh, yeah. <laughs> to do that yeah, yeah. But it, it takes bravery. It takes confidence. But if you hold yourself back, the whole culture of OT will be, um, you know, worse off because your message isn't getting out there. And that's the important thing to say, really, when you've got a mission like this we need to get good at shouting about it from the rooftops and and sharing it with other people because you've you've got a skill you've got a message and it needs to get out there in the world i completely agree and i mean i've all again people who have worked with me will, will laugh i've never been one to be quiet i've always been one to say what i felt even if it's maybe not, not being what people wanted to hear i i think as a profession we've so much to offer and as individual therapists we are really fantastic people but we don't look after ourselves we don't apply the skills that we apply to our clients we do not apply to ourselves and I would love to see us do more of that and I'm I'm at a different chapter in my life my kids are now grown up um, I needed to be at home while they were at school they are now grown up moving on to their next chapters this is my chance to jump back in the ring and not just talk to the people that hear me all the time and go okay Lindsay yep yeah, okay we've heard this before I need to reach out beyond because I truly believe this could make such a difference to so many therapists in the profession and to make them feel more satisfied in the roles that they're doing and to explore the real potential as occupational therapists. Yeah, absolutely. So powerful. OK, and so you're at the process of creating this freedom style business. You're creating a freedom style business that follows your passions. And when people do this, they've got more energy. They're more aligned. They're excited to do something because it's a passion project. It really does make you feel very fulfilled when you are scratching that thing. You're you're doing the thing that you were here to do and using your skills in the best possible way so Lindsay's well on the journey to that as I mentioned at the start she's a current client so um we're, we're just quite early on actually in working together at this stage but your, your business is already doing well and you're already working with with various different clients but I'm interested in the next few years what what the freedom is going to look like for you so what are you going to do personally as you flip into this new business model? 
So I, I think like lots of paediatric OTs, I have essentially taken all of my holidays in term time um, over, over the career of, of, of myself and with my children were school age. So my youngest um, daughter is in her final year of education and will be heading off to uh, new education in university in September. So I don't need to be here all the time anymore. I can have more flexibility. My husband and I can take holidays that are not in term time and that would just be so lovely because any time I've taken time off during term time, I always feel a bit guilty because there's a paediatric OT, you've got clients, you need to be working, that's when you see them. So it'll be lovely to holiday a bit more. It will be nice to go visit my daughter wherever she chooses to, to go. There's a few options on the list at the moment, none of them in London, I might add. She wants to um, move further afield. So it would be nice to have the opportunity to be flexible in my working practice and take my work with me. So, I, you know, if I want to, to just go and spend a week where my daughter's studying and, and spend a little bit of time with her, I can work at the same time. I, I would love to have that flexibility. And my mum's getting older. So, you know, she's in Scotland, I'm in London. I'd love to just have more time back home in Scotland, spending with my mum, doing a combination of work and just hanging out and just making the most of that time. So, yeah, I don't have mad plans to travel. That's, you know, my husband's still working full time. And um, that's not where we are yet. It will be, it's definitely on the agenda, but not the next five years, a little bit, little bit longer, I think. But um. It's kind of the final chapter of my career I see this as, and I really want to just have more freedom to to see what comes up. I'd love to explore any opportunity out there where I can get this message of supervision out, but where I can just be a little bit more relaxed, a little bit less held to time, um, which is something, Becky's smiling, I'm I'm very held to time in my, in my own mind at this point in, in my life. And I'd like to just be a little bit freer and less watching the clock, less watching the calendar and just have a little bit more space in my life to see what else comes up. Exactly. And I think it can be really hard to think of time in a different way. But if if I think of my own diary, you know, there might be one or two hours work kind of max some days and other days none. And um, the rest I might just pick up if I feel like it. It's a very different um, way of looking at life when every day you look at your diary and you're just like, oh, yeah, I've just got to be somewhere for like 10 o'clock as long as I've got Internet. And, you know, and even that isn't stressful. And I think it comes in cycles as well. So I know when I had the trip to Australia, I was just like, well, I'm, I'm doing family stuff. So my work stuff does come in cycles. You can have a stage where you really go for it. And I think at the start of the business, you've always got to be realistic that at the start of the business, you will be really going for it. So there will be a period where your time is stretched, um, definitely at the start. But ultimately time freedom is something that a lot of people don't really have a, a good idea about because they've never actually done it they've never woken up to an empty diary day after day and just followed the heart and the passions um so yeah I, I just can't really like again it's a mental shift to think what will that look like and and I think really I want to just be open to to whatever comes next. And and yeah, I'd love to have more time to just spend it. I love to cook, I love to bake. I'd love to just have more time to spend pottering around doing those kind of things. Whereas, yeah, that's definitely not how life runs at the moment. So so yeah, I'm open to to whatever that brings, but I'm ready for a different pace. 
I feel that this kind of next stage, um, final chapter really of my career, I want to push through. I want to really push supervision to, to out there for people to really appreciate the value that they can gain from receiving it as well as from providing it and, uh, and make an impact on the profession. But I want to have a little bit of time for me in amongst all of that as well. Yes. And um, one thing I notice a lot from doing this is when you have the time for you. So, you know, the more time we put into self-care, the faster we work. It's like um, even yesterday, I just did a, a just some dancing. I was just dancing and and listening to music and just having a good time. And then I actually sat down to work and I was so fast. It was like my fingers were on fire because I'd just I'd got into that state of flow. And um, again, that's very different than when we're working in this pressured environment. We've got reports to write. We've got to we've got deadlines. It's just a completely different energy and so it's not that you're not working but when you're working from your most aligned self doing the things that really light you up and put you in your zone of genius you know the the work is very different because it, it almost rolls out in magical time frames I look forward to that I definitely <laughs> yeah. feel that that I, I am at the earlier stages of the business I'm still running my clinical practice um, at the moment as well and I look forward to a time when that transitions through that I'm doing less clinical and I've got that freedom and that flexibility on on how I, I move forward to to help support other OTs so I'm looking forward to the benefits that brings me as well as having the yeah. opportunity to do that for them yeah yeah, perfect. Well, um, just finally, is there one last thing you want to say to any OTs who are listening to this? Yeah, I think the key thing is if you're if any of what we said today kind of resonates with you, if any of those kind of points of work is creeping in, into your everyday, you're kind of finding that balance between work and life, you know, challenging or or you're just you're conflicted and you're not really sure how to work through that. Um, you don't want to fall out of love with OT. Don't sit on that. Don't wait three years like I did. Don't sit on that. Reach out. Reach out to external supervision and just see what that can offer you um, and the space that that can provide. And hopefully you will find the benefit of just working through that and seeing things from a, just a different place, a different perspective. So don't sit on it. Reach out. It's worth the investment. I love that. Yeah. Um, but just because I was at the three years point as well, I think there must be many other people who've also had three years of feeling very sad before they finally made a decision to do something else. And what we want is happy OTs because happy oh, yeah. OTs have a greater impact on the work, um, you know, the workforce, the world, really in general we've got such strong messages to share but we need to be the best version of ourselves to be able to deliver it so um, 100%. fantastic well thank you very much for yeah. being a guest and look forward to hearing what else you do in the future thanks becky i just wanted to take a moment to share how i help occupational therapists to create their own version of freedom I help OTs all around the world to design, launch and scale their online business. You will learn how to tap into a deeper understanding of your purpose, your mission and how to turn that into an exciting offer to sell online. I've clients who've hit 3k, 5k, 10k and 15k months. Anything is possible. 
If it sounds like a good fit, then contact me via the link on the show notes.